0: You'll get 15% off, not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorn apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients, formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers, in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to... And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Michael Hicks. Now Michael has an incredibly powerful story, firstly of his own mental health journey and near suicide, and then the loss of his son McCoy to suicide while serving in the US Navy. So we discuss a host of topics, from McCoy's detail, organizational betrayal, positive coping mechanisms, Gold Star siblings their new nonprofit Hick Strong and so much more. Now before we get to this incredible conversation as I say every week, please just take a moment go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 700 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. And what makes the timing of this particular episode even more pertinent is I just learned we lost a second firefighter within about three weeks in the community that serves and protects my family. So please don't just listen to this episode, hear Michael's words. So with that being said, I introduce to you Michael hicks enjoy well michael i want to start by saying firstly thank you to manny vega for connecting us and secondly welcome to the behind the shield podcast
1: Absolutely, thank you so much. Yeah, Manny's a, Manny's amazing, and their organization is also equally amazing. So,
0: so I've just caught you on the end of a road trip. So we're going to get in obviously the 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 whole story of yourself and then your son, but where are some of the places that you've just been trying to to share his story and, and work on the prevention?
1: Yeah, so we um, we left New York. Uh, well, a uh, quick little brief introduction. Um, we do a holiday hug mug handout. Uh, it's a thing that we started last year uh, to give out uh, our, our, our one of our programs is hug mugs, but to give those out to service members so they have the information uh, and they know that they're loved, um, and we give those out on Christmas. And so this holiday hug mug handout was a, turned into a big project, and we drove uh, from New York on November 21st, all the way across to Oxnard, California. Um, and then uh, we made our way back and got home about a week ago.
0: That's a hell of a drive. I moved to California a few years ago, and it was like a five-day drive just to move there, and three and a half years later, I, I drove it back. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's a long, long way.
1: It's a haul. Um, but with special places that we stopped, we well, we stopped um, in Minnesota uh, Cheyenne uh, Wy- uh, Cheyenne um, oh my God Wyoming um, we we stopped in Heber City uh, to meet one of our sponsors uh, that had done an event to raise funds for us um, and then uh, where else uh, we went we on the way back we stopped in uh, um, uh, Fort uh, Campbell to give out hug mugs to service members on that base um, in California, we stopped at Port Wynamey and gave out mugs, uh, hug mugs there on the Navy base uh, or Marine, uh, no, uh, a joint base there. Um, and so that was cool. We got to give the message out. Um, we got to meet a young man that, uh, that, that was negatively impacted by medical malpractice within the military, and uh, we were able to connect him with Manny's organization to let them know they're not alone in this fight for justice, so...
0: Beautiful. Well, I would love to start at the very beginning. So before we even do that, you talk about traveling around the country. Where is home base? Where are we finding you right now?
1: We are in Clifton Park, New York. Brilliant. Yes. This is about two and a half hours north of the city, something like that.
0: Okay. So I I used to work a lot further north. I was up in the Adirondacks on summer camps as a counselor for years before I actually moved here properly.
1: Nice. Nice. So you know the area and how beautiful it is. (laughs)
0: It's absolutely gorgeous. People have no idea when they think of New York, what the rest of the state looks like. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. We're like, no, no, there's, it's bigger than that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's yeah. start at the very beginning of your timeline. So tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings.
1: Okay. Uh, so I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, uh, my mother was at, uh, at the time with my father. Um, and, um, he was not a very good person. And, uh, so they ended up separating, uh, and I lived with my mom. She was a single mom working corrections, um, which is not, uh, uh you know, it wasn't at the time, female friendly, you know, a thing to do. So she, she had to be tough. Um, she was tough disciplinary into, um, but, uh, in all fairness, I earned every single one of those, uh, <laughs> disciplines. Um, but, um, and then, uh, my mom, uh, who I consider my father, uh, dated, um, my father for a very long time. And he raised me, uh, um, for many years before he passed in, uh, in, in, um, 2002. And, um, and then, <clears throat> and then, uh, from there, uh, kind of skipping through school, you know, we, you know, I was like the worst student in school, um, I barely see student, right? And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, I graduate, and my, my wife is still a senior in high school, uh, and um, I'm a year ahead of her. So she gets pregnant. She graduates walking across the stage with McCoy in her belly. So he actually graduated multiple times. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, we've been together ever since, and we we ended up getting into – uh, I ended up going into college in Columbus, Ohio. There's, there's a real funny story around that. But uh, <laughs> so I, at the time I'm young, I was young. I wasn't thinking of other States or anything. And the recruiter was like, Oh, I got a found, I'm thinking Brunswick, New Jersey, which is only a couple hours down and uh, I would commute. And I'm like, all right, this is great. So he's like, I found a place in Columbus and I'm like, awesome. I can move right in. And i had no idea he was talking about Ohio <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, he's like, uh, so yeah, so it's in Columbus, Ohio. He's got the room ready for it. And I'm like, where the hell is Ohio? I'm just like floored because I'm, I'm having a child, have a child, and I'm having to go to school uh, uh, in another state. Um, and it was so fast. It was like just a week later, I was on a bus leaving my wife and McCoy at the time. it was like uh, eight, seven, eight months old. Um, and I go on a bus out to Columbus, Ohio to start school. And then eventually I get them out there. Um, once school was done, we ended up back in New York. Um, so for the most part, I was like a single, single parent for a lot of my life. And then, uh, my mom met my dad, who I consider my dad and he, uh, shaped me to some degree. Um, and then, when we get back to New York, I was having trouble finding work, and then I finally got a job as a um, computer information specialist at uh, at Sullivan County BOCES, and I worked there for several years before we moved up to the Albany area, um, and we're in that area ever since, and that was in 2006. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Well, I want to go back to your mother's profession for a second to have um, a woman's perspective within corrections you know i'm assuming like 30 plus years ago that must be quite a unique lens that she had and and i would argue this is something that i feel very strongly about that a lot of the the kind of the nucleus of a lot of the violence a lot of the, the robbery a lot of the addiction is what we're discussing today is mental ill health, and I think a lot of people in households are set up for failure. As a firefighter and a paramedic, I saw that firsthand. You know, there was there was homes you went in like, how the hell are these kids ever gonna find their way to a good place if this is their role models and this is their environment? Did yeah. you ever have any discussions with her of of what her perspective was? Of you know, was it working? Were there better ways that possibly they could do it?
1: Do what like like the incarceration, like correcting their behaviors. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was, was, was there, Um, was there a large amount of rehabilitation or, you know, was she, she, was she have frustrations?
1: Most of the conversations I had with, uh, so both my mother and uh, my stepfather, George, um, I could, were both correction officers. So I've got, I got a lot of stories more so about what I, why I don't want to be in prison, um, than anything. Um, uh, and how bad whatever you went in for adjusted, like the severity of your treatment while you were in there adjusted based on what you went in for. Uh, and in some cases, if you went in for certain things, you wouldn't you wouldn't make it out. Uh, so I, I, I heard most of those stories. <laughs> so she was putting the fair God in me for uh, for a lot of my my youth
0: gotcha all right well then what about sports and athletics what were you playing and doing when you were high school age i
1: am a soccer player at heart uh i played soccer a majority of my life and even into adult hood and like adult leagues and stuff um so i love soccer uh that was my sport to play and then i i hurt my back and i took on volleyball uh after having surgery, I, uh, um, started, um, and healing up, I started playing volleyball and I found that I like that as well. Um, so I, I was a part of teams in high school, you know, uh, sports teams, that, that whole dynamic. Um, and, uh, and then I currently now as a, as a self-care, um, to, for my mental health is uh, I play golf. Um, and so that's my latest, uh, sport uh, addiction, if you will.
0: What is it about golf that works for you?
1: Um, the the technicality of it, um, how every little aspect can adjust and change how well or how bad you do, uh, as well as the age gap uh, that you could play. Um, there's uh, I, The league I play in, believe it or not, is a senior league. So most of these guys I'm playing with are 70, 80, some of them 90 and they're all phenomenal guys and they're all just teaching me how to play. So it's, it's a nice, uh, nice dynamic. Um, but, but the thing that kind of gets me is like the focus. I have, I have, I have to focus and down and on the ball. It's just me, the ball. I'm not thinking about other stuff uh, other, you know, like my stresses of the day, things like that. Uh, I, and, and I can just focus on, okay, it's me, the ball and the whole, and that's it.
0: I've had a few guests on that golf is their thing. I've played golf with my brother and my brother-in-law a few times, and it is the polar opposite effect for me. I'm ready to throw golf clubs through windows. So clearly, <laughs> yeah. it depends on the personality <laughs> if that works yeah. for you or not.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah. I, I I like the method- methodical nature of like making adjustments to get better. Um, that continuous process improvement, I guess, is you know what I like.
0: Now, you talked about going into the world of IT. When you were high school age, what were you dreaming of becoming? Was it computers that, uh, that had your attention?
1: Yeah, yeah. For as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a hacker. Um, but on, like a good side hacker, not the, not the bad ones, you know. Um, and so I ended up going to school for computer programming um, and uh, got that degree, graduated with honors. So I flipped. When we moved to Ohio my life literally flipped upside. Like it changed completely. Um, I, I was a much better student. I, I had a reason to do well. Like I've got a little boy here that I got to take care of. Um, and at the time we just had him and, uh, our daughter Sienna was born in Ohio. Um, so while we were going to school on our own, no family around really, he was just like, and that was scary for our families too. But, um, we, we made it work. Like we, we had to, to hustle. Uh, Jolie did a majority of the working uh, the first y- two years. And, uh, and then it flipped because we didn't want to put the kids in daycare. And so uh, the third year I started working an internship and then she was able to take care of the kids at that point. Uh, well, while, while I was doing the internship
0: so we have people on the show. I have people on the show who are law enforcement and, you know, looks, look at some of the, the films and they're cringing at the way it works. I just watched a movie called Ambulance and the way the paramedic was portrayed and the things she was doing couldn't have been more fucking wrong if they tried. And it was awful. When I think of hacking in movies, it seems like they type about four words and all of a sudden they're in the NSA website what is your perception of Hollywood hackers through the eyes of someone who's actually been in the IT world and wanted to be a hacker when they were young?
1: (laughs) Um, I would say that it's, it's um, exaggerated. Like they only have so much time, right? But you're, when you're trying to penetrate systems and through things of that nature, you have, you spend months and months and months and months doing reconnaissance to find out information. And then, so it's not like a quick thing like, oh, I could just punch this code in and I'm in it, there, there's a lot of work that goes involved in it and I, and I never ended up being a hacker. I never ended up getting into programming uh, other than uh, audio video um, programming um, after after college. Um, yeah, so I was always drawn to technology um, essentially,
0: yeah, okay. So yeah. their favorite candy bar being Snickers and you type Snickers in and boom you're in. That's not
1: Actually, actually. <laughs> <laughs> favorite pets, children, birthdays, thing all that stuff is 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 legit. Okay. That that is, yeah.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna use that from now on then. <laughs> all right well then yeah. obviously you know as you, as you kind of walked us through you had you know the the biological father and then your real father you know you had these yeah. um i'm sure actually let me ask you this before i'm saying i'm yeah. sure one of the most forgotten professions i think in these conversations when we think of first responders i would argue are corrections officers they are literally in prison with the prisoners they get to to be you know um away from daylight, surrounded by concrete, but obviously the fear of, you know, the violence and everything else that they go through. With this lens now, with obviously all these people that you work through from the mental health side, did you observe any difficulties in your parents with processing their job and the shift work and all those elements?
1: Um, Because I was young and didn't know what I was, I was seeing, I would say yes, I could, I could see that. mental health strain uh uh on my mother having to uh be heavily dominant to to um to to be seen as an equal um and and that weighing in on her and then uh from my stepfather the the things that he well he actually i I would say for him it was maybe a little bit easier because he he typically worked the overnight shift which is always the which is typically the quiet shift um for the most part um So, and I think he had that because he had a lot of seniority. So he was, he was on that shift. Um, And from his perspective, being male, he didn't have to kind of live up to a certain standard, right? Um, So, but I did see it in my mother for
0: sure. So with that being said, we're going to obviously talk about, you know, your son, but I'd heard you in um, the leftover pieces podcast, you just touched on being a suicide survivor yourself. So when you look back, so many people have come on this podcast. Childhood trauma is, is is an element. It's it's a you know foundational crumbling before we then throw a uniform on, do shifts, you know, have relationships, etc. Were there elements of your childhood that, when you look back now with this perspective that you have, would be contributing to some of the struggles you had later in life?
1: The so so being. Um so the survivor part was when I was in, in high school. Um, uh, so it was when I was young as well. The um, to put it into perspective. When when we're that young, uh, our our peripheral view of the world is narrow. So when a tragedy or some what we perceive to be a tragedy, like in in my case, it was uh, separating from a girlfriend. Uh, and uh, and I thought the world had ended. And so both my parents are in corrections, right? So there's 38 specials in the house and I loaded it and put it in my mouth and I almost both triggered because I thought that that breakup was the end of everything, uh, but I didn't. And, uh, you know, that's good, but that wasn't the first, that wasn't the only one. Uh, and then later in life, it happened it, the 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 mental anguish and mental struggle that other people are experiencing that we are trying to help prevent within the military uh it get it can get very isolating and very dark um and uh, it, uh and i had while well, in ohio i had attempted to uh take my life again and uh jolie had saved me uh and uh I can only imagine the mental strain that that put on her, um, from, you know, helping me in that regard. Um, um, sorry, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to talk about this. Uh, Um, I lost my train of thought.
0: No, well, well, thank you. And I think it, it does make it a powerful perspective because you've been there yourself. You lost your son to someone, you know, him being in the same place. I just posted a video. I think it was yesterday or two days ago. Um I've learned so much from doing this for six years now. Over 700 people have had conversations like this. And there have been some really, you know, just incredible common donators, incredible truths that have come out. And when mm. people discuss suicide, and I literally had this conversation with a friend of mine a couple of days ago, there's still this this kind of narrative, oh, it was cowardly, it was selfish. And when I talk to these people, and one of them is a high school student, Emma Benoit, um, uh, but others, Kevin Hines, who survived, is jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. So people that have survived yep. their attempt, and many, many people like yourself that, thank God, they were stopped right before mm. Two two kind of truths come out. Firstly, that we always talk about. Oh, think about your family. Well, at that moment, people feel like they are a burden to their family.
1: Yeah. So, you, yeah sorry.
0: No, no. Please, I was I was going to put that back to you. So, so, did you have that perspective? And if so, if you want to elaborate on it.
1: So, um, being familiar with it, um, the, the 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 tunnel gets so narrow. You 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 can't see, and so what what's what's happening in our brains is our brains are short circuiting with that trauma, right? And and it, and you, you your brain starts thinking and telling you there's no way out. There's this is the only way, and then because the tunnel is so narrow, you can't hear you can't hear anything else but that. And so, yeah, uh, you know, in that hard moment, uh, you are not thinking about anything. All you can hear is the noise and the pain. And um, uh, and you forget. Uh, you forget. It, it happens. Um, you know, one of the, I don't know, I don't even, I wouldn't consider it a benefit, but you know when you talk to people that are having ideations or have had ideations, like when I say, "Hey, I understand that, like I I understand it. Um, I can I can relate from the perspective that I was there and we can, can we can talk about it freely and safely. Um, and and being able to share M- McCoy is not my first experience with suicide in my life. Um, my first experience was when I was in third grade. Uh, a classmate had hung herself because kids were making fun of her about her outfits and in and, and, and her poverty, the poverty or whatever that was assumed was the issue. Um, I I pray and feel fear for those parents, you know, and uh, it, it affected me, um, and I, I didn't in a way that I didn't know how to process, and so I I, I don't I don't know if it's still like you know one of those things in the dark closet of your mind that can pop out later. But um, then I lost my biological father who took his own life uh, after murdering um, uh, his estranged girlfriend at the time. Uh, so I, um, not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm unfamiliar with the, the devastating effects of it. Um, and so I can relate to those either on the support side as well as those in the struggle
0: well and the other thing that that i've again i'm, I'm a, a student i mean i've i've been affected as far as first responders that i know that have, have taken their own lives um and a, and a childhood friend of my dad's who he was about my age when he did it he took his own life when i was a kid but those were you know still somewhat detached from me so i'm coming coming this from the the total layman's perspective but going back to that selfish and cowardly narrative, when I hear these men and women, their brain is, as you just touched on, so miswired. It, it's a broken brain. That's why people can't get their head around it because we're thinking with a healthy brain. Right now, if you're not going through, you know, crisis, then it's not going to make any sense to you. But over and over and over again, I hear people say, You know, and these are a lot of people are in professions like the military and first responders who we've already signed up for a profession that we are going to possibly give up our life for a complete stranger. So it's already a selfless profession. Now your brain has convinced you that, I mean, of course you have the suffering, but now that you're a burden to your wife, your children, which makes no sense, you know, from the outside looking in, but it becomes a courageous, selfless act in that moment. And this is what we got to get people to understand. Taking your own life is not the act of a healthy, calm mind. So we've got to stop judging these people as if it was
1: right, right. And suicide is not a singular uh, type of event, a singular issue event. It's a multi uh, faceted uh, uh, that's not the right word. there's another word, but there's multiple um aspects to what lead up to an individual dying by suicide. It's not just one thing. It, um, it can be one thing, but a lot of times it can be th- a lot of little things that compound into the ultimate, you know, loss
0: yeah exactly and this is what i see in our professions let's take the military for example you know what, what what's the the narrative out there oh it's 22 push-ups what's the narrative in the fire service oh james it's what you saw it was that call with that baby which i've had numerous times but why am i okay But this, we just lost a a firefighter in town this week. Why did he take his own life? And it's because we're missing all the other pieces of of the pie, you know, childhood trauma, sleep deprivation, you know, violent video games. I mean, all these things that can in that particular person create that perfect storm in their mind. So if we just, the same with the, the, um, the school violence topic, if we just talk about guns, we're never going to solve the problem. Because we got to look at all these other pieces as well that compound not only to suicide but to homicide.
1: Yep.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: It. Y- y- and. And. You have to be willing to ask hard questions and and listen and hear because those that are struggling are are in a lot of, a lot of ways, they're trying to, it's like subtly there's cues. There's, there's things that are off that if we're not paying attention, we, we, we won't see it. Right. Like, you know, as we unpack McCoy's story, there's things that we were, that we were getting, that we were hearing that there was, you could tell there was distress, you know? Um, And in his case, he should not he should be here uh because there was he it was blasted the the set the signals were blasting off all over the place and um and uh well we'll we'll unpack that later but
0: well let's get to it now so your wife is graduating with a baby in her belly so kind of walk me through um, you know, McCoy is a little boy, and then, um, you know, what were the things that he was passionate about, and then obviously we'll get into the military um, on ramp.
1: So McCoy, so what, when we, the second McCoy was born, he was he was a handful. Um, he he unfortunately in the first two months of his life, he had his days and nights flip flopped. So, and he was like colicky. So he was he was up from six a.m. to or I'm sorry, six or twelve midnight to six a.m nonstop crying like you know talk about exhaustion how uh, we were beat we were beat um and then the second he could walk we were running after him 24/7 he was just like you know the pinball machine that's just got 10 balls in it and it's just going all over the place um so we had to keep him busy we had to keep him and ener- you know keep the energy level up um you know getting him into you know sports and we coached his teams and um for for soccer and stuff but he was he was he was even at that age with all that energy he was just a a ray of like life like like just his smile would glow and you would be like oh man you you couldn't get enough right um even though he might have been driving you crazy because he's all over the place he just lit up the room um and then through school um because well we were moved for moved a couple times to a couple different schools and then we ended up back landing here in new york and liberty after after college um but in in school uh you know he he struggled because his his mind was much faster than moving his body and he he was just like if there were at the time there was not it was no adhd but he was or you know add like you know that wasn't a thing then but he was super energetic all over the place. Um, so it was a struggle. Uh, you know, Jolie and I spent a lot of times taking parenting classes, not court mandated, like everybody else that was in the class, but we took it because we were trying to learn how to, how to open and handle this, this fireball that we had on our hands. Um, and it paid off. We learned a lot. We learned a lot of different tricks that helped, uh, for him, for his coping, for him, his ability to kind of just, you know, be able to f- focus enough to get, get the topics or, or listen in school. And, um, and then, uh, from there we moved, I got a job up up in Albany and, uh, we moved up there and it was middle school time frame, you know, for, for him and, um, his sister, uh, Sienna was in elementary, st- or like third grade, um, so and and then in at that point is when we started to deal with um the the bullying issue in schools right like just jerk kids being jerk kids like it's like come on (laughs) like they they were relentless on both of our kids through uh middle middle school and even high school um to you know to the point where it affected mccoy you know affected his mental health um so we got him, you know, mental health treatment, um, early age to, you know, to get help, you know, and, uh, and work on it. And he, he got through that. Um, but he, he, because of that, he always had a passion for the underdog or passion to stick up for those that are being oppressed or, um, or if, if he knew something was, was, um, like he did, he did something right. And, but someone saying he did something wrong, he would get extra passionate about no I'm not wrong um to prove his point. Um and so that carried through from high school uh where where to some degree in his senior year we had a rough time. Like he was he was so wanting to go left and we were like the the right way is to go right. You gotta you don't go left, you gotta go right. Um and that was what was uh borderline to, it was a, like a, a hurricane in the house sometimes. Um, so he had to, you know, we were like, you, know, you, you can't stay here and be this way. We're not, we don't, we're not doing anything to deserve it. And like, you gotta be, you gotta do something. So he, he, we we're like, you got to find a place to live and, and start working or you have a military as an option. Now, if I had known what I know now, I would never have said that ever. Uh, so, but he ended up choosing the military, um, and uh, he was going to go Air Force initially, but then he went and saw a Navy recruiter and felt like he couldn't go back to the Army re- or the Air Force recruiter. So he ended up uh, landing in the Navy because uh, he wanted to be a corpsman. Uh, he wanted to uh, care for people. He went to school for uh, CN for uh, uh, certified nursing or yeah, CNA. Um, and he, he, he had a traumatic incident when he was working at a summer camp and a kid ran into one of those cemented in grills and like caved his chest in and he stopped breathing. And so McCoy, since then always just wanted to help. Uh, He actually saved the man's life in a Denny's that was choking, Um, you know, and like he commanded the room and he was telling us all about it. He was super proud. Um, And so that's what he was trying to get into when he went into either air force or navy um he thought there was a better pathway through the navy for that um but that's kind of who he was like like he would put himself on the line to make you laugh or do something silly you know uh like that commercial Mikey Elite, it right like he would do anything to just bring joy to someone to make someone laugh right um and uh and that's just kind of who he was um that's
0: who he was he was a light for sure so with the the bullying element um emma benoit like i said the high school student that was a thing for her she's beautiful cheerleader, all these things that you would think on the outside, oh, well, they've got it all put together. And the inside, a culmination of the bullying and and simply the fear of I'm going to graduate and I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, which is something that we kind of take for granted. Oh, well, kids just go get a job. Well, yeah, but you've been in this institution since you can remember. And then one day you're given a piece of paper and a kick up the ass. You know, most people transition, okay, but you think about that—that that is a terrifying, you know, prospect. My own son... Went through some some mental health stuff himself. There was some turmoil in the other household. I was divorced, um, and then the way the school handled it, and this was middle school as well. At that time, they there's no other way to describe it. He was was kind of you know upset. That was it at his desk, and the principal and the SRO, the the sheriff's resource fucking idiot at the time, ended up sending him. To a a baker act, so a 72 hour hold for a child that was crying at a desk. That in itself compounded the depression and everything because you think about how terrifying you're basically kidnapped is what happened. Um, Since then, the law has been changed and those two people will be in prison for doing what they did. But It it really did, and I watched it really kind of have a, you know, compounding effect then. If you do the wrong thing and you're a mental health professional or a teacher or a principal in this case or a police officer, you can literally send a kid down a, you know, a horrendous spiral. What, where, where was he going? How low was he in that middle school? And then, you know, what worked? Did you find, you know, the counseling actually helped in that particular Yeah.
1: Yeah. We, um, there was a, you know, treatment facility in the area that we brought him to that he could, it was kind of like a inpatient treatment. Um, so they could work on coping mechanisms and, and, and skills that he could, you know, he can kind of express his issues and his concerns and, and what, what he was struggling with. Um, so that, had, that had happened, I think two times, uh, because of the bullying, cause it was just relentless. Um, and, uh, so, uh, But it did help, Um, and there wasn't, you know, telehealth therapy or anything like that, and so that wasn't an option for him uh, after after the initial treatment. And like everything else in this industry, uh, the mental health industry, there, you know, it would have been waiting lists for months before we could, you know, potentially get get someone. Um, But we talked; we're very open family, so we would always talk about stuff and and go over different things. Um, But yeah, it was tough for him, for sure.
0: So you, you mentioned he ended up finding the Navy specifically. He wanted to do something to help ideally a Corman. So walk me through what actually happened as far as his recruiting and where he ended up.
1: So, uh, so he was going, you know, I, I'm not sure what he was going to go in as like initially, like, cause when you talk to the recruiter, you sign up, you're not, you may not get what you think you're going to get. Um, so whatever he had selected to be or was given to be as a job, um, when he got to boot camp and then eventually graduated boot camp, he, he it shifted. It changed because he met the criteria to be a ceremonial guard uh, at Arlington. Um, He was six foot two, he was tall, he had the look. I mean, his kid was gorgeous. Um, and so they they enticed him after spending, you know, all that time in boot camp pooping and peeing in front of all these other people, uh, not having any privacy. They're like, hey, join the ceremonial guard, you'll get a queen-size bed. And he's like, What? And my own room in my own shower? Hell yeah. So what what does an 18-year-old do? He goes into the ceremonial guard. Which turned out to be some of the most difficult, like uh, technically detailed work uh, that 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 he would accomplish and overcome. um, Because, like I was explaining, McCoy was he was all over the place, bouncing around like a pinball, right? So, for him to take this job, this this position, and to pass into this position, I can't I can't even describe. It's like Mount Everest. Uh, it it was a huge accomplishment um, because they're the face of the Navy. They do all this the special events. They they everything has to be spot on. No lint, like no loose wire, loose uh, strands of of fabric. Nothing. So uh, the day that he passed in, he actually passed in on his birthday, but they failed him because uh, he, they didn't want to pass him through on his birthday. Uh, and And so that was another experience where right out of at out of boot camp he he got sent to the to the ceremonial guard, but he was put inside unfortunately, a toxic command. and so they would do things like that. um and and so the thing that bothers me is that that stuff continues even after boot camp. Like I get the breakdown, build up mentality and what needs to be done to do the unnatural things they have to do um but after that why are we why are we still destroying our own and not lifting them up and in you know building them up so that continued through ceremonial guard for a year and a couple months or so uh somewhere in between that time frame he had was on leave and went to new york city with some friends and was i'm sorry am i going too far into the
0: no no go for it Carry on, please. <laughs>
1: So he uh so he was on leave in New York uh, and riding a bike in Central Park and a pedestrian stepped out in front of him and he flipped over the handlebars and got a massive tra- uh, traumatic brain injury um and uh blacked out um so he gets back gets extensive treatment at Walter Reed which was amazing that's all documented they did they did take very good care of him there uh, but that TBI, uh, was being dismissed by his chain of command and so he was saying he was having trouble you know with TBI symptoms you know he was having trouble sleeping, having trouble staying asleep um or getting to sleep staying asleep and then he was a rifleman so the shots were were messing his head up the bang you know the the explosion so um so they felt that he was not working up to par so they shipped him off to the uss nimitz uh in bremerton washington
0: so talk to me about the role of the ceremonial guard when i have been to so many firefighter funerals and it is one of the worst experiences of my life to to watch you know the honor guard come through the bell that's rung. they do the kind of what they call last call which would be a dispatch saying that the person is answering the radio you watch the flags being handed to this heartbroken family, and then the the fire helmet and it's it's absolutely awful um so whether you witness that person's death is is kind of irrelevant because you're around so much grief, which I think a lot of people would argue it's not the dead bodies that we see it's the reaction of the family that really haunts most of us so what did that role entail
1: yeah so it's it's great that you put it that way um so so here's an example. This is actually what kind of gave McCoy his PTSD, or what gave McCoy his PTSD. Um, so the fir- after getting into the ceremonial guard, so what? What the first mission he had was when the USS Fitzgerald crashed in Japan uh, with another ship, and seven sailors died. When those seven sailors came back, he was work. He was working and honoring those families and those so those sailors. Uh, when they came off the plane. Now, our son was very empathetic, so he could feel people's feelings. And was, you know, so he's like, the families were all just devastated as we were, uh, screaming, crying, running towards caskets that they didn't know who was in what casket Uh, and and the Air Force having to stop them from getting to the caskets. And so that traumatized him to the point that, like that night, he was in the shower uh calling us, bawling and sobbing, saying he can't get those the screams and the cries of those families. Get my ba- where's my baby? Where's my baby? out of his head. And he never did. Um and so that so they do so they do those types of things. When they're coming back, they're representing the service in 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 honor of the fallen. They also do like the, the uh burial services at at the uh at Arlington uh they were doing six to eight funeral services a day at eighteen years old uh he's burying kids his age so uh um and then I think he turned nineteen then he's you know burying kids younger than him and so it messed that messed that was that messed him up <laughs> that messed him up that was hard to see all that death um it it's a, it's a huge toll. It's a huge toll. That's why they're only allowed to work two years before they have to move on to a new rotation because it's so taxing.
0: Well, and again, with these all these different pieces of the pie, these compounding elements, you know, you've got some of the things he went through when he was younger, you've got this detail, you've got a TBI, and I've had numerous people, two Navy SEALs whose whose widows I've had on here, and that TBI was a definitely a compounding element for them that they took their own lives. But another thing that I think is under discussed is organizational stress, you know, organizational betrayal. All organizations have some fantastic people in there. But it only takes one or two terrible ones. And I would argue my last fire department I worked for was full of toxic leadership. Or well, I don't even use the word leadership to even describe them, but it was so cancerous, so toxic. And, you know, I, to the point where I'd retired out of the fire service because I'd try to do good in there. And it was just, you know, like headbutt in a brick wall the whole time. So I personally can relate to that stress myself. What were some of the things that he was dealing with? Because as you touched, of course, boot camp is going to break you down. Probation in the fire service, but you listen to the special forces community. They don't scream and shout at their guys when they make it through. It's very much man to man or woman, you know, person to person now. And as you said, you're training, you're educating, you're holding people to standards, but you're not playing this, you know, this um game of of you know quote unquote hazing. Hazing the way it's supposed to be, you know, is 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 uh. a a way of challenging people to rise up and then be part of your community. Hazing on a negative way is a relentless bullying within an organization. Yep.
1: Yeah. There, there's, uh, within the military that is, uh, probably the leading cause of why there are so many, uh, active duty suicides. Um, the, 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 it's a, it's a culture. It's a culture that needs to adjust it's a culture that exists because there's no accountability. And so you have toxic leadership up at the top that then finds their subordinates that are also toxic. And then they promote those toxic subordinates up through the ranks while every while there's laying waste to lives, like hundreds of lives, uh in in for active duty service members. And this is all happening in our country and nobody's the general population has no clue. And like, and because the military spends five hundred and sixty-seven million dollars a year on advertising to make it look glamorous, honorable, and 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 uh the thing to do, our young ones think I'm going in to do something to save, to, to save our country, to to protect our country, right? But then they're going into this meat grinder of toxicity that is then we're losing more. Of our children here in this country than we are overseas and more of our veterans here in this country than we we ever have in combat like what's wrong with this picture when are we going to wake up and change the culture the culture needs to change
0: absolutely so what what was he relaying to you when he was in the um ceremonial guard detail
1: so raising our son, we he was difficult. I, I told you that earlier, right? So we were thinking in our mind, we're not the parents that are like, oh, it's not my kid. My kid never did anything wrong or this or that, right? Like we were always like, Well, McCoy, he would tell us like this command is like riding him, like like finding little things that aren't things. To get him into trouble or put him on restriction which means taking your phone access away so basically you lose access to your outlets to let go of steam right um giving him double and triple shit detail to you know extra work or the, the the shittiest work you could possibly find and making him have to do that like just making his life miserable just to make his life miserable and then that never stopped after he left the ceremonial guard. It actually, like, quadrupled when he went to the Nimitz. Um, and and not only was it the subordinates, but it was also Captain uh, uh, Kevin P. Lennox who challenged my son to kill himself. And also four other subordinates underneath them that made his life a living hell and then on top of that he dealt with the toxicity of the mental health person that's supposed to be helping people on the ship who spent all of her time making him or arguing with him on whether or not he had PTSD all the time she's using the wrong book that that the wrong uh I don't know the right word. The the wrong um
0: the definition
1: Yeah, the wrong definition of what PTSD, she's been referencing that and spends all of her time documenting and arguing with him when she should be helping him. So even some of the mental health community in the service, the the it's it's even toxic there. It's toxic you even in the chaplains, not all of them. There's some really good chaplains, and I've met many of them, but that toxic exists like exists within the chaplains, too. They're supposed to be able to go to them to let off steam. and the, the chaplains are telling them to suck it up and there's like that toxicity is still even there within the <laughs> within the chaplain area. And I know that because I've heard it from multiple accounts, including McCoy's story
0: so then walk me through the events leading up to february
1: 11th 2019 so uh i guess i'll go start um uh in september of 2018 yeah september no yeah september 2018 um i had information i had uh like location on McCoy and just randomly checking, Hey, how you doing? You know, I could see that he was at a hospital and I'm like, this is not this is weird. And I'm calling and he's not answering. Um So I called the hospital. I said, do you have my son here? Uh, his name is this and they check and They're like, yeah, he's here up. And he, che- he checked himself into the psych ward because he had tried to drink himself to death. And so he and he wasn't getting help in the service for it. So I find him there, I tell them, hey, listen, he's in the Navy. And so then they call the Navy and the Navy rips him out of treatment. Uh gets I mean, gets more of those that Toxic Command riding on him, saying, You're not supposed to do that, you know, all this other stuff. Um they supposedly put them into alcohol abuse treatment. Um, and mind you, that's what they tell them to do when they're doing the ceremony of guard is to drink it down, drink it down. So then they tell them, Oh, you have a drinking problem later. Right. So, so they send them to this program and they're constantly pulling them out, pulling them out, pulling them out and pulling them out. So we start planning to come out there. Cause I have work out in California, in California, um, in Washington, I had work out in Washington for Cornell, and the company I was working for, uh, Audio Video Corp, they uh, were flying my wife and I out to visit with him. So he had requested leave; it got approved. Everything. <clears throat> uh, I think November, uh, February seventh, uh, we get a call from McCoy, and it's from a number we don't know, and we're like, "What? What's this? Who is this?" Sienna, myself, uh, and Jolie uh, were at a Bible study. And um, with some friends and uh, we pick up the phone, we go into their bathroom and it's the last time the four of us spoke together as a family. And he's telling us, that mom, dad, I'm on my way to the brig uh, for flipping out on my command. We believe this could, his command was t- was telling him that they were going to strip his leave and he wasn't going to see his family. That was literally right there. Uh, so he lost it. And I have accounts from a uh, legal person uh that was in that hallway when that all happened so I, I know that that part is that is accurate um and so we we're just like McCoy listen it's only 25 days take a deep breath keep your head down you know speaking all positivity like it's it's short term just behave yourself don't get into any scuffs 25 days you'll be back home I'll get you a job it'll be fine you know don't worry about it it just just Don't get into trouble now. um, So we get off the phone with him. We fly out on the eighth to, to Washington and uh, we get our car. We're immediately just calling base, calling uh, the brig, which is uh, an army brig that they had sent them to in Tacoma. Uh, We happened to pick Tacoma to stay. So we were 16 miles away from him. And we're calling and calling and calling, trying to get on base, talk to someone, get to anyone all weekend. Monday rolls around, we get to through to oh, her name was Captain K, or we couldn't pronounce her last name. Um, and then she my wife thinks she's getting somewhere. She's like, Oh, this sounds positive. Maybe she knows, you know, we can we can talk to him or see him. We get hear nothing, nothing until 6:30 at night. We get a call from the Navy chaplain and uh, Keiko and uh, they said, Mr. and Mrs. Hicks, are you here in Washington? I'm like, yeah, you guys know that. McCoy, kn- he put in the lead for us. And they, they told us over the phone that they found McCoy in his cell, hanging in the cell from a belt that the correction facility gave him. with uh, any correctional facility in this country doesn't give lethal means to inmates. So I don't understand what's wrong with that picture. Uh, like now, because the reason they called us and didn't come to us and to deliver this news in person, like they're supposed to, is, uh, because apparently we brought 12 inches of snow to Seattle, Washington, which never happens. Um, so they couldn't get over the bridges and get, get over to us. Uh, so, um, and I'm sorry, I might be forgetting my, uh, my timeline, uh, there, but, so we spent that whole weekend trying to try to, trying to, trying to reach him. We've come to find out since then that they denied his phone call, uh, when he first got there. Uh, so he could have called his mother. He asked to call his mother and they denied it. Uh, that, that could have saved them. Um, the fact that they, they gave him a belt that you know if they didn't do that, that could have saved him. <laughs> um uh, um sorry. Um uh and we've also come to find out um uh, that they never gave him a psyche valve when he arrived, uh, even though all the documentation he had, had was documentation red flag. Red flag, red flag. This person needs to be on suicide watch. They put him in a cell that was broken, with broken cameras. Uh, and when they found him at 6.30 in the morning, or six, 6 in the morning, or um, the protocol is to relieve pressure off the neck. But the person that found him decided to just leave him hanging there and run and get help instead of taking him down. And then, then we found out from one of the first responders at the base that that contacted us later, he said they performed CPR on the bed, not on a hard surface. That's just standard CPR, I'm sorry. You know, not, he was already up there from two 2.30 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. when they found him. And they were supposed to be doing 30-minute rows through the halls and they never noticed someone there like there's so many wrong things here that 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 are just negligent that could have saved mccoy that uh there's no reason for him not to be here so yeah we struggle with that um
0: Sixteen miles, man so I mean firstly, thank you for for walking us through I mean it's just absolutely heartbreaking and and I think Manny talked about being very close to to his son when he was you know in his final moments as well, and so I mean that just adds another layer of frustration and anger, I'm sure you've already kind of walked through some of the struggles you had before. You know, how did your family process? You got all these different dynamics. you got yourself, you've got your wife, you got Sienna. you know what what were the next few months for you, specifically as a family unit?
1: So then um, from the moment we found out, Jolie and I, uh, you have to keep in mind when we found out our daughter was in New York, So we had to call her from New York to tell her, and she was alone. So we had to get family and friends to go to the house to be with her so that we could tell her, um, that her brother is gone. And, uh, so we were, we were wrecked. Um, psychologically we were, we were broken. Like we, we couldn't process things. We couldn't, it was bad. Um, it's still bad. Uh. And we had to have uh, our brother, uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they flew out uh, to be with us because we weren't registering stuff. And we're meeting with the Navy and that um, uh, Kevin P. Lennox, who now got promoted to admiral, sat across the table from us and said, he thought that the brig was going to be the safest place for him. Hmm. Come to find out, an anonymous post came out with the day that he was in there. Captain P. Lennox challenged McCoy and said, I'm calling your bluff. If you were going to kill yourself, you would have done it already. Have a nice day. And sent him to the brig. And that son of a bitch sat across the table from me and said, I thought it was the safest place for him. And McCoy told him, if you put me in the brig, I will kill myself. I, first-hand account I have of this
0: now with that if things were doing done correctly what should it have looked like for someone in crisis that's clearly you know as you said red flag red flag
1: sorry I got sidetracked I, I didn't answer your question uh, <laughs> let me answer your question yeah please so the next few months were broken we were broken I, I I don't I think we went woke crying we went to sleep crying there's there's no human words for me to put it into description for you to understand what the next three months were like. Um, The one thing that, that stuck in my mind in that fog time was I need to get help for Sienna immediately because sibling loss is significantly higher when another sibling dies by suicide. So I'm like, I gotta get her help. So I I'm calling all places to get us into therapy. Uh, immediately, like right away. And so we're trying we're trying to do that, and we're still struggling hard. Like, so we were in different groups, and the the loss wasn't the same. So it wasn't fitting, and it wasn't it. So it was really hard. Um, and we're trying to figure out burial services and and all of this. And it's just like I never wanted to think about any of that. So I don't I don't I don't know how we made it through it. And then somehow, some way, um I, know, I want to say like in March-ish time frame maybe, which is just a couple months later, we had we we're just, we like, we have to stop this problem. And we were trying to figure out how to stop this problem. And so we decided to start a nonprofit and I got us started in getting us registered as a nonprofit uh, for our, for our nonprofit Hick Strong to save the other McCoys that are out there, but not just active duty because, because we're losing a ton of, of veteran as well. And so we wanted to stop this it cycle and get the people the help they needed when they need it, where they need it. Um, how I got this, how we put all that together, how we came up with everything. And I mean, I'm a technology person, so I built all the websites and all that other stuff. So I, I did it all, but I was totally on autopilot. Um, it's very it's very rare that I have a clear vision of 2019. It's it's all kind of blurry, Um, but I was I feel like I was in autopilot. So we had Higstrom stood up by August fifth of twenty nineteen, and we started saving lives
0: from there. So with that fog, that absolute nightmare that you found yourself in early twenty nineteen, what were some of the coping mechanisms you found? that didn't work that maybe were negative and then what were some of the the roots that you took that actually started healing you?
1: Um well we we didn't really put ourselves around like things that like that, well I will describe it like this. After we lost McCoy, the three of us became like a, a a weaved three strands. We were inseparable. We weren't doing anything apart from each other. We were all concerned for each other. So we, all, the three of us, became each other's rock, each other's support system to to survive that. Um, and the the three of us knew that that no matter what, no matter how bad or how hard it gets, like we're going to talk about things and we're going to you know get get it out in the open, and we're not going to lose another one of us. Um, and so we 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 locked in the three of us tight. Um, and that's that's how we coped we 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 didn't leave each other's side we and then and then the other part of the coping was the saving other people right um saving other people the way that I describe it is every person we talk to and help or impact even with just a story it's like a, a little piece of that shattered billion pieces of our heart from that February 11th day that get glued back together, it's going to look broken. It's not going to be perfect anymore, but it's starting to heal uh, to some degree. Um, But I'm not going to sugarcoat that. The reality is every day, every breath that I take is a a reminder that my son is no longer here and there's no reason he shouldn't.
0: So going back to the you know all the mistakes that were made i I had a a a father of a young boy drew who had a skateboarding accident and it was just this series of medical malpractices that led to him ultimately being paralyzed but not sedated and they intubated the wrong tube so they intubated his esophagus so this little 14 year old boy was fully aware that he was suffocating and, and he died because of the the hospital and then and then the paramedic in the transport unit and doesn't mean that all paramedics and all hospitals are bad, but these stories need to be told because if they're not, if they're swept under the carpet, how do we fix this? How do we use these as cautionary tales for the rest of us to be reminded not to get complacent and not to allow the wrong people in the wrong positions because one single life is one too many. So if you could kind of, you know, hit rewind, what should have been the sequence within the Navy for a young sailor seemingly in crisis to to truly be safe within that facility
1: from well from the first time when he checked himself in for suicidality and trying to kill himself with alcohol from that moment he should have been supported by his command brought to to mental health whether it's through the service or through a third party outside of the service that that should have happened right then not not alcohol treatment because the issue wasn't alcohol the tool was alcohol right at that for that moment the issue was the mental health side behind it the, the toxicity so they should have gotten him into mental health and and they chose they chose not to that that right there and then secondly Mental health practitioners within the, within the services need to have some compassion in order to do their jobs. And if they don't have compassion for someone that's saying, hey, I'm suicidal, and, and instead of sp- spending their time arguing with them, then, then we're just perpetuating. We're allowing this toxicity. When we do our stuff and we go out and give hug mugs and we go to ships and we go to bases and we talk to people, we want to know what they we, what they say about behavioral health. They know it's there. They know the person's there. They don't trust them. So we set up, the way we set up our organization is so that those individuals can get access to care safely without having to trigger an alert to their command that they're needing to talk about grief or needing to talk about separation anxiety or or depression, right? Like, if those individuals get the help they need when they need it, then they can be better soldiers and sailors and service members for, for this country because they're able to deal with the hard stuff. And that's our that's what we're doing. And the majority of the people coming to us are active duty.
0: The number of people i had on this show that are military that struggle with their own mental health and, and more, you know, most, should I say, were really just prescribed pills and that was it and then you know obviously that doesn't work because you're not again addressing the underlying issue in the first responder professions we have a thing called eap which is the kind of mental health insurance that an employer will have but it ends up being russian roulette because within that organization the chance of finding a counselor who's the right fit who understands what a policeman or a firefighter or you know paramedic actually does in the world is very very slim so it's heartbreaking because i've had many many nightmare stories of people going in and being told to leave because they can't help them or the counselor broke down crying um and so that makes me wonder well how many voices are we not hearing because after that they walked out into the woods and and that was it so it's so important that we we have this conversation as well because i think so many of our men and women that are struggling we kind of box check oh well you have this thing that you can go to but more often than not, it's not the right thing in the first place.
1: That's um, that's that's one hundred percent true. Now, i i would be I would be wrong if I didn't state that not all mental health or behavioral health within the services are bad. Now, that's that's interesting that you mentioned the the one thing that we do different is <clears throat> our director makes sure that we have qualified people. Right to your point that understand what you guys go through. But it doesn't stop there. Then we check their heart. Because we want only therapists on our team that have a connection or a heart for military and and care about these individuals. So we're checking compassion, love, to make sure that we know that individuals come to some degree. We're working on... Having veteran therapists because a veteran helping in a veteran, they can understand that. Um, so we're we're working on increasing those those types of therapists within our our organization.
0: Well, before we get to Hicks Strong, you touched on hug mugs before. I know that was the precursor to the nonprofit. So let's start there. What you know, talk to me about what they are, how you came up with the concept, and
1: yeah. so. I'm just getting one. So after we lost McCoy, we had asked one of his shipmates, what is something every sailor wants or needs? And their response was a hug. And so we're like, okay, how are we going to hug every service member? Right. This is just before COVID. So we're like, how are we gonna hug every every service member? So we're like, oh well, um we we started to like brainstorm on that. We we're just sitting in on that. And at the time, our church family was inviting Jolie and Sienna to go <clears throat> paint pottery at a ceramic shop. And we weren't leaving each other's side, as I said mentioned earlier, early on, right? <clears throat> so Jolie felt safe with the church family, so she went. And she painted this, this thing that said family. And she found it to be super therapeutic. Like she could she could focus in on that, and everything else faded away. That that's the beauty of the art therapy aspect of it, right? So she started going back. We all started going. And as a group, we developed, we saw a mug on the shelf, and we were like, wow, mug mugs. Oh my God, that's perfect! So we we worked local. Yeah, no viewers aren't going to see it, but it's a twenty-ounce mug, huge that could fit an entire pint of ice cream. That are sponsored by people that want to come to our hug mug paint and save events because they're they're fundraisers to help cover that therapy. They sponsor it and they paint it. And they, every single one is unique, is quote unquote custom. I'd say unique, but uh, they're all different. (laughs) This one says Go Bills. (laughs) And we give them the service members with information on how to connect to our services, how to connect to crisis service, and uh, some information on, on us. So that, but now the beautiful thing about it. Is it says every mug it has written on it, hick strong and hug mug. <clears throat> and every what that does is beautiful because it gives the person that receives it an opportunity to share a resource with someone that might be struggling. Someone you can't drink out of this and not have someone ask you, where did you get that? What's hick strong and what's hug mug, right? I had no idea that that was a like, I didn't think about that. It's just an awesome byproduct. So we started that literally months, months after losing McCoy.
0: <clears throat> so what impact and- did that have? Because you, you have to be somewhat healed first, but the number of people on this show that once they've been through their dark place, one of the real you know, again, common denominator healing elements is that ability to start giving back to, to, to help others. What impact did the hug mug movement have on, on your family unit, that, that three entwined, um, you know, weaved family that you mentioned on the overall healing of the three of you?
1: Um, uh, well, it became, it, be, it has become a part of their life, um, Every time we do these things, we get to talk about McCoy. so he's still here. Um, so that helps heal. Every person that we get to share our story with can share with someone else to potentially help someone, <clears throat> which helps us heal. And um, we're doing it together as as a family. we We are building built this together as a family. And so doing all these things together bring us together and keep us tight keep us close um being strong for one another
0: so with hickstrong obviously that's where the the resources are now so talk to me about the concept of hickstrong um the the counseling that you offer and then the fundraising side
1: yeah so The whole premise, of, like initially when we set it up, was we wanted to get service members connected with therapists and cut through all the bull, cut through all the red tape. So that uh, whether they had bad papers uh, or was a dishonorable discharge, <clears throat> it didn't matter. If you signed the line to serve, we want you to get help if you need it, if you're asking for it. Because McCoy was asking for it and they didn't give it to him. So we started um, in August of 2019 taking patients. We helped five individuals uh, through a a web form. They fill out asking for help and then they get contacted and connected with a therapist. That simple. Right. And so first year we helped five individuals uh, in 2020, we helped 23 in uh, um. 2021, we had 97 people request all over the country for care. And last year, we had 147 people request care all over the country. Um, New York is our highest clientele. Uh, we've helped over 50 people in New York. Um, but there, we've helped people in, uh, I think, 40, 40, 41 of the states that we've been able to connect them with therapists. But the, the, when we first started, I was like, hey, we're going to give you four sessions and for free. And we covered those the cost of those sessions. And quickly, we realized four sessions is kind of just a, just a little bit of enough to maybe build a rapport, um, but not enough to be therapeutic. So then we were like, OK, we'll do unlimited. But then I was like, whoa, that's not realistic. So uh, we said, we'll go to eight. And then we found, okay, we need a little, what if there needs an extension? So I I think last year or the somewhere mid last year, not last year, <laughs> 2021, I started coming up with a, debe- a plan to do, to allow up to 24 sessions. So we we will cover up to 24 sessions. <laughs> or individual that comes in for care. Um, we do it in an eight, eight session segment. So you get eight sessions. Then if your therapist feels you need to do some more work, you can get, they can request another eight. And if you feel 16 is enough, you can stop. And then if you hit a bump in the road, you can come back and get the last eight or take the full 24
0: brilliant and these are mainly virtual sessions as well so people can access it from everywhere
1: yeah yeah it's tele and i apologize i'm still choking over here um <laughs> it's uh it's it's telehealth so no matter where they are uh we find a therapist to get them connected to um we're, our team is growing uh we're getting more and more therapist requests uh so our uh, applications uh to be on our team and um, it's just amazing to in in Three and a half years, we haven't put a single service member on a wait list. They haven't waited to talk to someone.
0: <clears throat> and what does the wait list look like traditionally within the system itself?
1: Um, ooh, in the VA system, it's like eight, nine months before you can talk to the person to get you in to talk to another person.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and that's,
1: just, that's just too long. Um, in the mental health community... Uh, in a lot of cases, people are are. I, I here's here's an example, just from the other day, uh, a combat veteran reached out to us uh, asking for help for his 15 year old daughter. <clears throat> she just got out of the treatment that we put McCoy in when he was younger, and they could not provide outpatient mental health care for her he spent the day calling 40 different places across the state to try to get her help. Everybody said, no, there's nothing. There's a wait list. We're having issues. He called me and I said, you know what? Hold on a second. Let me make a few phone calls and I'll see what I can do. I made one phone call and that man's 15 year old daughter is now in treatment. And the therapist happens to be in the same town that he he is in. Why is it that I can make one phone call in the industry can't figure this shit out? Why are we why is why? You know, we don't do this for money. I, I mean, well, we don't do this to get rich. We do this to help to help people. Be, we do this for our son. And I don't understand why it's so hard to get people into care and 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 why we've been able to to do this without having to put anyone on a wait list. Now everything we do is fund raised, uh, for either grant writing that I write or or doing events, um, so that we can cover those costs. Um, I'd love to see an increase in in monthly donors. That would really help us a lot. Um, even if it's two dollars a month, that's that's that adds up. Um, but we are are really hustling to save to really create a system we've created a system that has been fairly successful um over 60 percent significant improvement in all patients that have come through um we we're just doing things in a different way because we're putting the patient first and we're caring
0: yeah well that's amazing i've I've said the same thing myself why why is a firefighter having to create a podcast to bring all these experts in shouldn't that be you know the the unions and all the the governing bodies of my profession why you know why is no one talking about the fact that our shifts are insane in the fire service and our people are dying by not just suicide but all the other things too you know i mean this is the problem is the people that really care don't seem to be in these organizations and don't want to be probably because they're you know there's so much red tape and corruption in some of these organizations and the number of people that come on here that used to serve and then they came out and like this is ridiculous and they start nonprofits why does a you know an SAS member or a Navy SEAL need to start a nonprofit to help people he served with when they work for the richest organization in the states which is the military
1: right and why why does a family that had their son taken from them by toxic leadership in the military have to start a nonprofit to help those that could potentially be the ones responsible for killing their son
0: exactly exactly well i want to touch on one tangent before we make sure everyone knows where to find all the links i remember of a really really heartbreaking story and i think i've got right i believe it was the sister of one of the marines that was killed during the afghani withdrawal ended up taking her life close to the the grave site if i'm not mistaken so you know, you talked about the gold star siblings. So let's expand on that a little bit. Talk to me about the issue of of the you know the the children, the brothers and sisters, and what Sienna is doing to try and help with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I'd say that the the single biggest thing that I hear from siblings is that they're forgotten. <laughs> so we'll go out there uh, in front of you know hundreds of people, and people will either come. Ignore her. Ignore our daughter, Sienna, and, and just go up to us and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And completely ignore her. Or they'll go up to her and say, you need to be strong for your parents. No, she doesn't. That's not how it works. Like, And there's no resources for siblings, uh, Gold Star siblings out there. So... One of the things I challenged Sienna with is if there's something you want and it doesn't exist, then make it exist. Um, so I challenged her to make something exist, and so she did. And in on on October 12th, her birthday, she launched uh, it was kind of the first of its kind. It's an unrestricted for the for the most part gold star sibling grant. Uh, so that we she wants to give out ten thousand dollars each year, a thousand dollars to each recipient. So ten, 10 awards a year, five in the uh fall and five in the winter. Or I always mess that up. Fall and spring. Yeah. Five in the fall, five, five in spring. Um and so she started it and she's already up to three thousand dollars. Uh, three awards she's excited to to work on giving out. Um, because when she was in school, we lo- she lost McCoy and had to withdraw. <laughs> And then, when the process of going back came up, we didn't have the finances, so she's looking for scholarships and grants out there for gold star siblings and there's nothing It's like crickets I mean not even major organizations uh that are national like we are, but bigger, way, way bigger, bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars are offering a scholarship to gold star siblings and and so she made she made it um and uh, I'm super proud of her, um, and so she'll be working in de- on, on that and developing that and raising funds for that. Um, she's going to do a art auction at uh, American Legion up in uh, Hudson Falls on May the 4th uh, to raise funds to completely get that grant full. Uh, so I'm just super proud of her. She's stepping out, building her own identity again after she lost her identity when her brother passed um, and finding some things to, to, to look forward to
0: well that was one topic that you guys talked about on the uh, leftover pieces podcast that really resonated with me I know the host also you know lost a loved one to suicide as well was and we don't really think about this you know when, when there's two for example children like in your family dynamic you've got the one who was killed whether they were killed in a car crash or they took their own life and that Posthumously sometimes can pull the focus grieving the child that's not there and and potentially forgetting the child that still is there
1: exactly yeah, and that's we never want that to happen um we We actively work uh intentionally to ensure that she's not forgotten um and and when things like that happen when she's ignored' we'll, she's grieving too, and we'll educate.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. beautiful well one more topic i want to get to just before we go to the closing questions um we talked about manny vega who is who started save our service members he is obviously trying to address more in, in the legal system in the organization organizational area of addressing these inadequacies and, and getting things changed so as you said there isn't another you know repeat of exactly the same incident so talk to me about you know your relationship with manny and that organization.
1: Yeah. And, uh- from the first time we connected with them um, and went down to D.C. with them, we knew that like, OK, this is another family that's been negatively impacted by the military uh, negligence, medical negligence and is trying to do something that's not just like for them. It's it's for all of us out here. Right. That fall into those categories. And so I love that. I just was drawn to that. Um that selflessness, uh, kind of like this is about this is a bigger picture here. Um, so I was drawn to that to them in that way. Uh, we bonded while we were out there, um, and then we. Uh, so I love their mission, and I, I'm dedicated to to being a part of it as not just the Hicks family, uh, as individuals that were impacted by toxic leadership and negligence in the military. But uh as Hick Strong, and I want to support their mission uh it jointly uh with that family. because uh, the work that they're doing, to be honest, it will be long-lasting. Like it's it's change. That that would bring the change, that culture change that we that we need in this military, uh, in my opinion, to strengthen it. Um so. So we support them and we were doing our holiday hunger handout. We stayed in that out in California with them at their house. Uh, they, they graciously opened their house to us and uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. We, we cooked together, we cleaned together, we laughed together, we cried a little bit together. Um, and they just embraced us uh, as, as fellow, you know, fellow survivors of of loss there. Um, and so so that was really good. And, and now we're continuing that partnership. I've I've since added them to our website, uh, SOS Advocacy uh, on, our, on our website uh, and activated a donation mechanism uh, to support those advocacy work uh, between the two of our organizations. Uh, so we're planning on going down to DC in February to do some advocacy work, um, but I gotta get some funds raised so that we can uh, make that happen um and go down and talk to you know to Senators congressmen and women uh to get uh to get them to understand what the issue is because a lot of them don't even know <laughs> which is scary um and and get because it they should support this this has nothing to do with left right red blue this is this is this is humans. That, that are being failed here. We need to do something about this. And Manny's organization, and this, uh, Save Our Service Members. As a matter of fact, like I got Save Our Service Members shirt right here underneath mine, because uh, that's how much I love those guys.
0: <laughs> beautiful well i want to get to where people can find these these sites in just a moment but before we do let me throw a few quick closing questions at you the first one is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend it can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated
1: yeah um actually um i just uh i just added to our ref our resources page um the leftovers pieces Uh, she Hers is, you know, suicide support, suicide survivor support. And so she has two books on how to survive suicide loss that are out. Um, they're listed. Uh, her information is listed on our website, so you can go right to her site and uh, and purchase those books. They're available on um, on Amazon, uh, and they're phenomenal. Um, and, and it's a great resource for any uh, lost survivors. Um uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, I, I'm, the other one that I'm thinking about that, that stands out is, it's I, the, the title is escaping me, um, and I, I apologize. Yeah. yeah,
0: no problem at all. What about um, a movie and or a documentary that you love?
1: Ooh. Uh, my favorite movie is Hackers. I mean, <laughs> I, I love that movie. I've seen it about a 100- hundred thousand times um uh and then documentary um i like i like the documentaries that go over the ancient cultures um and civilizations so anything that's in that arena i love
0: brilliant all right well the next question is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders military and associated professions of the world
1: hmm There's a few. There's a few. Yes. Um, uh, Do I have to pick one right in a second? No. You can send
0: Um, me. You can send me some other people down the the road. Yeah. Okay.
1: Because there's a few that I'm thinking of that I would love, love to get on your on your podcast. uh, That they provide support for uh, for first responders as well. Um, So you know, doing this work, we've been connected with so many organizations um, and so many really good organizations. Uh let uh I have, I have to go through that list uh and get you one because I could literally throw a dart and pick any of them and they'd be phenomenal uh, for you.
0: Perfect. All right. Well then the last question before we make sure people do know where to find the sites, what do you do to decompress?
1: So my I I, I like to go into a quiet place um uh and uh just have a little bit of silence um and then do some breathing work. Um and then I, I, my, for me, golf. I like golf. That's my decompression. Um, you get the frustrations out on the ball and everything else fades. And that's my decompression. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. All right. So, Hicks Strong, where can people find that website?
1: Yeah. So, you can, uh, there's tons of information out there, even if you just Google hashtag Hicks Strong. But uh, our website is hicksstrong.org. There's two S's in the middle. So, it's H I C K S. S-T-R-O-N-G dot um, <clears throat> We are also searchable on, we're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok.
0: And is Sienna's fund attached to that site as well?
1: Yeah, on our main website, uh, right at the top in the menu structure, uh, Gold Star Sibling Grant is right there. Yep. And also SOS Advocacy, which also has links to their site right off of ours.
0: Fantastic. Well, Michael, I just want to say thank you so much. I mean, I know early in the conversation, we got to, to your, you know, journey as well, but I think it does add so much more power to, you know, what happened to you as a parent, having literally suffered, you know, mental health challenges yourself earlier in your life. And then the compounding element of losing a son and and the family dynamics. So there's been so much, you know, from this conversation. Um, I'm glad that you didn't end up choking halfway through the, uh, (laughs) the conversation. But I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time today.
1: No, thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Um, uh, You know, it's been a pleasure uh, getting to share our story with you. Um, I know it's not an easy story to talk about, but uh, it's something that needs to get out there. It's something that needs to be heard in order for change to come.